Good morning. Anyone else sweaty? Just me? What a question. <laughs> Welcome to Recreate Church. Are you sweaty today? <laughs> well, I am so glad to see each and every one of you. You know, this podcast goes out all over the world, so let's let them know our motto, how we feel about them, how God feels about them. No matter your story, you are welcome, you are wanted, and you are loved. Heard some cool news this week that we have some guys in a factory who are listening to this podcast every week. The exact thing that I was told is the one dude is playing the podcast and making the, uh, his coworkers listen to it while they work because, and I quote, y'all need Jesus. That's what, that's what he said. So, hey, can you join me in giving a shout out to Noe and the crew at Capewell Aerial Systems? Okay. All right, so I'm going to hear about that. That'll be funny. That'll be great. I'll let you know how that goes. Today, I want to tell you about my first love. It's not Katie. But it's not some girl in elementary, middle, or high school or anything like that. It's not even my mama. It's not even Jesus. My first love was baseball. Baseball. Yes, America's pastime, baseball. Duncan, now that you have this citizenship thing nailed down, you're going to have to find a baseball team because it's baseball. No more cricket for you, my friends. Rugby, what's that? Football with a weird ball? No, it's baseball now. Baseball was my first love from the first time I stepped out on that green grass with a mitt on my hand. I loved it, and I enjoyed it, and I did pretty good at it, and um, all the years I was eligible to play Little League ball, I played ball, loved it. First year we played, I think this probably helped, the very first year we played ball, me and my brother signed up to play ball. We won the championship that year. It wasn't all that impressive, but the VFW Blue Jays did win somewhere at mom and dad's house. There is a trophy. There is a VFW Blue Jays trophy from the 80s. It's somewhere. It's somewhere. Um, Yeah, it's probably in the attic somewhere where we put all our prized possessions that we're most proud of. It's in the attic. So I played all the ball that I could. There was no travel ball back then like there is now, but there was school ball. And as soon as I got old enough to play some school ball, I tried out. And I just knew, man, I got a good chance to make this team because I could always throw really good. I could throw a long way, and I could always catch. And I was pretty solid altogether. And I got up there, and I remember it like it was yesterday trying out. I had some sweatpants on before they were cool and just playing ball and doing okay, and I felt like I, I had a shot. However, I had a couple things against me. I was not very fast on my feet. I'm still not all that. I'm faster than I look, but that's a pretty low bar. I was never very fast, and I also just didn't sort of have that ball player look. You ever look at someone and say, hey, they look like a, they look like a sports guy. They got that, that, um, you know, that gracefulness about them. That is not something. I'm glad that God gives me grace because I got none. I don't have gracefulness. I sort of never looked the part. I was awkward. I'm still waiting for my awkward phase to get over. It hasn't gotten over yet. I just did not look the part. But I still I was like, man, they got to see past that. They got to see past that into my heart, into my baseball heart, and see that I belong on this team. So they posted the team, the guys who made the team that year. And I remember going up to the bulletin board and looking for my name down the list. And it wasn't there. 
However, as the people who know me best will tell you, I have no good sense about when to quit on anything. So I tried out next year, and the next year, and the next year, and and the next year, and uh, never did make the team, not once, doggone it. I wanted to be an athlete so bad, but it just, it just wasn't there. I, I just I was too doggone slow, too doggone slow. So I never got to do that in high school. Um, now, years later, though, see, they coaches didn't know something about me. They missed something about me because maybe I ain't that fast. I put a hurt on a ball. Throw me a pitch. Throw me a pitch. Let me hit that pitch. So I had to save all my, my, my good hitting skills for church league softball. And um, I wish my, that middle school coach had been there when I hit that walk-off grand slam against the Methodists, but no. <laughs> he wasn't there. I'm still, I'm over it. I'm completely over it. I have no hard feelings about it, mostly. Everybody wants to be picked. It's no fun when you don't get picked, when you feel like someone doesn't believe in you, when, when you feel like you've been told you don't have what it takes to, to be on the team. And I know there's, I talk to a lot of people about the Lord, and a lot of people kind of give this idea, they, they wonder if God picks people like that. Like, hey, you know, God only picks certain kinds of people. And um, wondering if, uh, if He's like that. That if God only picks, picks people who... He looks like a baller. Let's put him on the team. He looks like a Jesus guy. He's got all the right stuff. You know, let's put him on the team. Does God choose people like that? You all have heard me say before in this space, not that long ago, God doesn't pick people like people pick people. He, he does something very different. So we are going today, we're going to learn about the team that Jesus picked. We call them the 12 disciples, the 12 apostles. You're going to get a crash course on these guys. Some of them we know a lot about. Some of them we don't know much at all. But each of them were special and unique. And they weren't always the kind of guys that you would think of that Jesus would would pick that would be on Team Jesus. We're in Mark chapter 3. If you have brought something to write down with today, it would be a good day for it because this will be kind of like you know, it'd be a good day to take notes. And you can also prove that, yes, you went to church today because you got the notes. So if you have your phone out, I'm going to assume you're making notes in that phone and not like Snapchatting, except for Snapchat. Oh, my goodness. Church is so good right now. Pastor Michael is on fire right now. Actually, let's just keep it real and not do that. Um, so uh, I'm going to read here verses uh, Matthew or Mark 3, verses 13 through 19. And we're going to hear about the 12 disciples, and I'll pray for us. And then we'll start the crash course. It goes like this. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those he himself wanted. This is Jesus, of course. And they came to him. Then he appointed 12 that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and to have power to heal sicknesses and cast out demons. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter. James, the son of Zebedee. John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon, the Canaanite, or some translations say the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him, and they went into a house. So he picked all these guys, and then they went to a house. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, teach us something about these guys that Jesus called to be a part of his team and help us to see you've got a place on the team for us too in jesus name amen 
It was not as if Jesus just picked these guys at random. They were already among the larger group who were following him. And some of them, we hear about how they became followers early on. Uh, Some of them have already become prominent. We've heard of Peter, Andrew, James, and John already. We've heard of Matthew already. He's called Levi in the book of in the book of Mark, and uh, so now he's calling them to this higher level of commitment and responsibility and power. There was some power that came along with it. Some of these guys we know a lot about. Some of them we don't know so much about. The list is given four times in the New Testament, three times in the Gospel, and one time in the Book of Acts, and it's a little tiny bit different each time. But in general. You, you, you have the same team. He does not change up the roster in the midpoint of the season. It's the same 12 guys the whole time. But we get some different names for them. You guys have first and last names, probably middle names too. Maybe some of you are, have like hippie parents and you got two middle names. God bless you. Um, so I just got the one middle name. My parents were kind of hippie, but not hippie enough to give me two middle names. So I don't know what it would have been. But the list is a little different. However, there's always three groups of four. And they're always the same three groups. Every time. Three groups of four. The order is a little bit different, but it's always the same four groups. So it seems like the 12 disciples sort of had three subgroups. There was three teams within the team. And uh, the scripture doesn't give these subgroups names. So I'm going to take the liberty today. I I prayed over this and the Lord didn't stop me. So, uh, I'm going to give them names. We have Team Fireball, Team Comeback, and Team Shadow. Okay, y'all got that? Y'all wrote that down right. Okay, cool, great. So, let's stop to answer one question before we get to Team Fireball, Team Comeback, and Team Shadow. If Jesus is God, couldn't he have done it all his own? He had the power. He certainly had the power to have done everything he wanted to accomplish. But he knew that was not the best solution. It was better to have a team. He knew that even though he was the man, it was never going to be a one-man show, even when that man was Jesus. So he picked a team. And he knew that someday he would not be with them, and this would need to spread. So he chose these 12, and they were to train others after them, and on down through history. And here we are to this very day, because Jesus built a team, we're still part of the same team. We're not Team Fireball, we're Team Recreate. We are part of this same thing that he has been building all along. Every local church is, is a team. It should never be about one person or a handful of people. We're all part of the team. The name of the message today is Teamwork Makes the Dream Work. I could have sworn at some time in the last five years I had used that as a title, but evidently not. It's a great one. Teamwork makes the dream work. Um, by the way, do you know what happens this week on October 22nd? Recreate turns five years old. We're just about to hit kindergarten age. We've made it through preschool. We're ready for kindergarten. So happy birthday, Recreate. That's awesome. Go ahead, make some noise. Yeah, that's awesome. That's amazing to me. So, all right, all right. Crash course on the, the 12 apostles. Take a few notes if you can. First one is Peter. Simon. Simon was the name that he was given at birth. Simon, he's the leader of Team Fireball. He is the most outspoken, the most active, the most prominent of all the apostles. When there's something crazy going on, 
Simon Peter is right in the middle of it. He was a fisherman by trade. We don't know what he looks like, but I imagine him as being a, a pretty tough guy. If you're going to fish for a living, dragging in nets, you're probably pretty, pretty ripped. And uh, he certainly wore his heart on his sleeve, and he was not afraid to tell you how he felt. Um, kind of makes, makes me think of one of my kids. She's back in with the kids area right now, though. She's this big, tough guy, gal, sorry. She's this big toughie. Peter was at the transfiguration when they saw Jesus glorified. He was at Gethsemane. He went aside to pray with Jesus. He was there for these major things. He, when they came to arrest Jesus, Peter's a guy who drew a sword and cut off someone's ear. Peter will cut you. He's tough. But you remember that afterward, after Jesus was arrested and they was going through the trial and, and Peter was trying to hear what was going on, that's when they questioned him. Wait, wait, weren't you with Jesus? Don't you know Jesus? And he's like, no, 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 I don't know him. And he, he denied Jesus and he went away and wept. This big, strong, tough guy just melted under the questioning of a, a young servant girl and some others. After the resurrection, Jesus restored him. And he really was the leader in those early days. He was the leader of the movement, the Jesus movement. Remember, this, this whole Jesus thing has never really been an institution. It's always supposed to have been a movement. Anytime you see Jesus people becoming an institution rather than a movement, it's going to be problems. Just wait. Wait and see. So um, G, uh, Peter went on to write two letters in the New Testament, First Peter and Second Peter. But he's also almost certainly the person who gave Mark the information to write the Gospel of Mark. So as you read the Gospel of Mark, understand this is almost certainly Simon Peter's vision. It's his remembrances of what happened. So early church historians tell us that Peter was crucified by the Roman Emperor Nero in about 64 AD. That's something like 30 years after the resurrection. And tradition says that he was crucified upside down because he did, not want, he did not feel worthy to die in the same way that Jesus died. And that was his request. So Simon Peter shows us that Jesus wants some outgoing, outspoken action heroes on the team. But the problem is, so many people imagine that's the only kind of person God wants. That outspoken, extroverted guy who's the life of the party. But how many Simon Peters did Jesus put on the team? Just one. There's another Simon. We'll see him later. But just one Simon Peter. One out of the twelve was this loud guy. The rest of them were pretty quiet. So let's get to one of the quiet guys. James. One of the Jameses. James, the son of Zebedee. He's called. He's the son of thunder. James was another fisherman from Capernaum. He and his brother were partners with Simon Peter and his brother. They were fishermen together. James was a much quieter guy than Peter. He, he wasn't the guy cracking the jokes all the time. He wasn't uh, the life of the party all the time, but he was, he was gutsy. This James makes me think of my James as my dad. My dad is always the big, strong, tough guy. I, I was telling somebody this morning, you know how most people do push-ups? My dad pushes the earth down. That was, that was funnier than how y'all laughed. I thought it was great. It's really okay, though. I know it's early. Um, 
You know, how, how people check under, you know, the boogeyman checks under the bed for Chuck Norris. Chuck Norris checks under the bed for my dad before he goes to bed. James in the Bible was kind of like this. He was not as loud, yet he was so gutsy. He was tough. Jesus nicknamed James and his brother Boanerges, which means sons of thunder. That sounds like a motorcycle gang. Sons of thunder. That'd be a great name for a motorcycle gang. Sons of thunder, Boanerges. Uh, One time James asked if he could call down fire from heaven and roast a Samaritan village that had rejected the message. There's, that's a thing, you know, and, and relax. Jesus said no. So some of you look a little worried. Didn't happen. Um, James was one of them that said he, like most of them said he would be willing to die with Jesus. But James actually got that opportunity before the others. James was the first of the 12 to lay down his life for the cause. James, the son of Zebedee was the only one of the 12 apostles Um, besides Judas, who we'll get to, whose death is recorded in the New Testament. King Herod Agrippa had him beheaded, and he stood strong to the end. James shows us that you don't have to be loud, you don't have to be outgoing to be on Team Jesus. Not all passion is loud. Y'all hear that? Not all passion is loud. He had true grit down deep in his guts, Makes me think of my dad for sure. Now, James had a brother, and his brother's name was John. My dad, James, has a brother, John, so that's all. Grandma was very biblical when she was naming the kids. Somebody told me yesterday, she's a school teacher, and said all the kids with biblical names were the ones that misbehave in class. That's what Marissa was telling me. So, yeah, all, the, all my meanest kids have biblical names. It's probably because. Their mama and daddy knew they were going to need Jesus for this one. Um, so the other son of thunder was James, was James's brother, John. He was probably the youngest of the 12. He was probably a teenager when he met Jesus, actually. Young guy. So when you picture him, he's probably 18, 19, something like that. Really young. And, uh, and we see that youth wins out over old age. When Jesus raised, was risen, um, uh, Peter set out to go see the empty tomb, but John outrun him because John was probably like 19 or 20 and Peter was probably 30-something, maybe 40. And let me tell you, running don't come as easily when you get over the 3-0. So John was the second most famous um, of the disciples after Peter. He wrote the Gospel of John. He wrote First, Second, and Third John, and he wrote Revelation. He was at first a disciple of John the Baptist, not the same guy. John the Apostle, John the Baptist, not the same guy. John seems to have been closer to Jesus than any of the others. He he sat right next to Jesus at the Last Supper. He does not refer to himself by name in the Gospel of John. He calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. Which, part of me is like, man, that's so deep and that's so powerful and part of me is like when the other apostles read this were they like come on john come on john we're all on the team you don't got to put yourself in that position but it's it's evident that he was very close with jesus he was close to jesus's heart and he was really the heart of the team and uh, if peter is the mouth of the team and james is the guts of the team john is the heart of the team he's the guy with the big heart 
He was the only one of the 12 apostles who was present at the cross. The rest of them ran away. John ran away at first, but he came back and he snuck in and he was there and he was the only one to watch Jesus die. The only one with him. And as a matter of fact, when Jesus was on the cross, he looked down and saw John and he, in so many words, told John to take care of his mother because Jesus was the oldest kid and he was supposed to take care of his mother because his his uh, adoptive father, Joseph, had clearly passed away. And he gave that to John. So Mary, the mother of Jesus, lived with John the rest of her life. Pretty, pretty powerful thing. John was the only one who was willing to be there at the cross. And so far as we know, he's the only one of the 12 disciples who lived long enough to die of natural causes. He lived to be an old man. He lived to be probably 90-ish when he passed away. He was, he was on up there. When he wrote the book of Revelation, he was probably in his 80s. He uh, lived a long time. And he, he spent a lot of years as pastor. You've heard of the book of Ephesians in the New Testament. John was a pastor at Ephesus for a long time. Major church. John shows us that Jesus wants people on the team who won't run away when things get tough. People with a heart. People with a heart that connects with the heart of Jesus. Now we get to... The last member of Team Fireball, Andrew. Andrew is Simon Peter's brother, the very first disciple to join the team. And the first thing that Andrew did after he met Jesus was to go find his brother and tell him, you got to come meet this Jesus guy. Andrew's not as prominent, but neither is a guy called Mordecai Ham. You ever heard of Mordecai Ham? That sounds like a brand name, doesn't it? What are you serving this Christmas? We're serving Mordecai ham. It's the finest ham. Thank you, Jesus, for the new covenant and all the delicious pork we can eat. Thank you, Jesus. No, Mordecai ham was a guy. He was a preacher. And he, among the many people that he won to Jesus, was a, a young guy whose name you will know. Billy Graham. Never heard of Mordecai ham, but you heard of Billy Graham. Not a brand of cracker, if you're unfamiliar. That's, a slow, that's one of those slow cooker jokes. You'll get it about four hours from now. Excellent. Thank you. Um, so Andrew wasn't like as prominent, but if not for Andrew's willingness to share Jesus with his brother, we, Simon Peter might not have been on the team. So I want you to understand that it's, it's, it's not all about that loud person, y'all. It's about people who will share Jesus with others. Years ago, my dad's brother invited us to come to church service. Years ago. And that was the start of a big deal. It was the start of a... What, hey, God was already at work, but that like jump started it hard. That really gave it that rolling downhill power. And, and pretty soon, you know, things were changing in my family. Folks were getting saved. It's, it's huge. And there's been no going back since that time. Never underestimate the power of just saying... Hey, you want to go to church with me? Hey, you want to go to church with me? That can really be a powerful, powerful thing. Um, when I was dating my wife, we dated for a little while. didn't work too good. And then I called her up one day and said, hey, you want to go to church with me? And I ain't telling you that's how you get a wife. So chill out, Romeo. I ain't telling you that's how you find your Boaz, if you're looking for that. But I'm just saying it's a powerful thing. It's a powerful, powerful thing when you invite some, when you just tell somebody about Jesus, okay, and tell them, hey, come, come to Recreate Church. It's a little different than what you're used to. 
Come sit in a comfy chair at church at once. I don't know how it gets you to closer to Jesus when you sit on a hard pew. I don't know. Comfy is okay with me. So Andrew kept on telling people. You remember the feeding of the 5,000 when Jesus fed 5,000 people with like five little loaves of bread and two fish? Andrew was the guy who went and found the kid who had the lunchbox with the food in it. Now, how he got it, I don't know. I hope he was nice to the kid and say, son, you got some food. It's about time you share that. I don't know. It doesn't specifically say that he didn't rough the kid up. I think he didn't, but he could have. Anyway, he brought people to Jesus all the time. He had a history of that, and he just kept on bringing people to Jesus until finally the Romans had enough of him, and he was crucified on an X-shaped cross. Andrew shows us that Jesus wants people on the team who are ready to share the good news with the folks they care about. That could be your role. You don't have to necessarily stand out on the street corner and accost a stranger. There might be a time for that. But you got some people you know who need Jesus. Real bad, don't they? You know some people that need Jesus? Then people you work with don't need Jesus? Those people in your family don't need Jesus? Don't you tell me that. So that's it for Team Fireball. Let's get to the second group of four and i'm calling these guys team comeback because each of them has some things kind of stacked against them first is philip remember that annoying kid who constantly asked questions all the time oh wait that was me i think my mom cleared her throat over there when i said that that was me that was me i was that kid that might have been philip too we don't know a whole lot about him, but every time we see him in the Bible, there's a question involved. He's being asked a question, or he's asking a question, questions, questions. When Jesus fed the 5,000, which we spoke about just a minute ago, he started out by asking Philip, say, hey, Philip, how are we going to feed all these people? And I just wonder if that's because Philip was forever asking, hey, Jesus, how are we going to do this? How are we going to make this work? So he asks Philip the question that, that Jesus was going to answer the question himself, but he said, how are we going to do this? Later on, Philip asked Jesus a great question. He said, can you show us the Father, as in the Father in, he in heaven? And Jesus answered wonderfully and said, Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And later on, he said, I and my Father are one. He made it very plain. Philip had questions. And it's okay to have questions. You might have grown up in a in a home or in a church environment where it really wasn't okay to ask questions. And when you start asking the tough questions, people are like, wait, nah, we, don't, we just don't ask that question. That's disrespectful to ask those questions. We just believe, okay? We don't have to know it all. Let me tell you, I'm, I'm here to tell you, it's good to ask questions if they're honest questions and you're seeking honest answers. Now, if you're trying to ask me crazy stuff like, could God make a rock so big that he couldn't lift it? Why would he do that? There's no point. God doesn't do pointless things. But if you really want to know, you know, why is, why is the world like this? We can get some good answers for stuff like that. We can get good answers. It's okay. It's okay to ask questions about faith. That's how your faith grows. That's how it throws some roots down. That's how your faith is, is something that is deep down in the ground instead of something you could wipe off with some Windex. We don't need any Windex faith needs to be deeply rooted where you just can't scrub it out. I'm talking about that deep black mold kind of faith that you can't get rid of. Some of y'all enjoyed that. The rest of you did not. That's okay. I promised my wife I'd clean the bathroom very soon, so I'm just thinking about all that. I got to clean some stuff. I'm going to scrub it, honey. I got you. Y'all heard me in front of Jesus and everybody. 
going to clean the bathroom. So Philip reminds us <laughs> that Jesus wants people who ask questions on the team. I love how y'all show up just to watch me implode <laughs> and stick my foot in my mouth. So I get all, I get all tongue-tied when I have this pretty blonde gal right here in front of me. Y'all should try it. Some. It's, it's difficult. So Bartholomew comes next, also known as Nathaniel. We could call him Bart, but that makes me think of Bart Simpson, who I don't generally connect with spiritual maturity. Or we could call him Nate, which I connect with Nate from The Office, which is a little closer. Fairly obscure character. He's a pretty good guy there. So we could call him Bart. We could call him Nate. He goes by both names in the New Testament. He might have been the only one of the 12 who came from a fairly comfortable family background because when, just before Jesus meets him, we read in the book of John, I think it's chapter 2 or 3, Jesus meets Nathaniel. He's going by Nathaniel there, and he's, Nathaniel was sitting under a fig tree. Now, if he's sitting under a fig tree contemplating in the middle of the work day, that tells me he probably was not a common laborer. He was, had a little more comfortable of a life. And get this, I, I call him the prejudiced one. Bartholomew is the, the prejudiced one of the twelve. Now let me explain that. I'm not saying he was like racist because there were just Jewish people around. There was really nobody to there was nobody else who really wasn't like him. But when Philip, the guy we just talked about, came and said, Hey, Nathaniel, we met this guy. We think he's the Messiah. He's Jesus of Nazareth. And the first thing that, that uh, Bartholomew or Nathaniel says is, Psh, Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? You mean to tell me one of them rednecks from Nazareth is the Messiah? He was prejudiced against that. <laughs> you mean to tell me that some little street corner operation in Hillsville has a podcast people listen to all over the world? Yeah, sometimes we got to look past our assumptions about people. And, and that's what he did when he did meet Jesus. And I love the line that Jesus said. He said, you know, Nathaniel, uh, I saw you when you were under the fig tree. And Nathaniel's like, what? You weren't anywhere near that fig tree. How'd you know that? And he was convinced. That didn't take much to convince him. He turned over his prejudice against people from Nazareth real quick. Real quick. So... Jesus, uh, Bar Bartholomew shows us that Jesus wants people on the team who are willing to give up their assumptions and truly learn and grow. you got some assumptions. I've got some assumptions. But let's go take our assumptions and let's compare them to what the Word of God says and what Jesus said. We might have some things wrong that we need to get right. The next of the 12, uh, the third person on Team Comeback is Matthew. He's also known as Levi. And we met him earlier. Remember, he's the guy who was a tax collector. He was who worked for the Romans. The Romans were in control of everything, and they wanted to collect taxes, but they did not want to send Romans way out in the boonies of Israel to collect taxes. So they hired some local people. So you know that the local people despised these guys who were Jews who were charging Roman taxes and and cheating them. And he these tax collectors had a reputation for ripping people off because they could charge whatever they wanted. So long as they turned into Rome, the quota, turned the money into Rome, a certain amount of it. He would have been considered a thief and a traitor and a liar. He started out as a loyalist to the Romans. And yet, here we see him on the team. 
because he was not the man that he was before. His life was changed. Jesus changes lives. That's what we're about, y'all. Jesus changes lives, transforms lives. Matthew reminds us that God loves us right where we are, but he doesn't leave us right where we are. He wants to bring transformation. Matthew shows us that the mistakes of your past doesn't mean Jesus doesn't want you on the team. He wants people with a past on the team. One more guy on Team Comeback, and his name is Thomas. I like Thomas. Thomas also has another name, Didymus. Thomas Didymus. Both of these words, Thomas and Didymus, mean twin. It is a possibility, a high possibility, that Thomas was a twin. His twin's name, Thomas's twin's name, was the tank engine. Thomas and the tank engine. It's another one of those slow cooker ones. Who's Thomas and the tank engine? Y'all were not subjected to PBS, evidently. You don't have kids the right age. So, no, we don't know his twin's name. If he was indeed a twin, I, uh, twins, it's, twins are awesome. I married a twin. I love twins. They're awesome. Um, didn't have any twins. That's completely okay. Twin grandkids, that, that'd be all right. Don't want any twins, so, to be my own kids. But, uh, anyway. Nobody remembers Thomas as a twin. They remember one thing about him. All the stuff Thomas ever did, and he gets called one thing. What, what's his nickname? Doubting Thomas. Doubting Thomas. One time. So when Thomas first heard that Jesus had risen from the dead, he wasn't part of the group when Jesus had appeared before. He was out of town, and, and he said, well, I'll only believe if I see him and I touch him. To be fair, none of the other disciples believed completely in the resurrection until they got a chance to see him too. Thomas's doubt melted away when Jesus appeared to him. Jesus appeared, and you think, we think he would fuss at Thomas, like, Thomas, how could you dare? How could you dare doubt me? But he didn't do that. He said, Thomas, here I am. See me, touch me, believe in me. Thomas shows us that it's okay to have honest doubts. Most of us are a lot like Thomas. We're kind of a mix of faith and doubt. Doubt is not a deal breaker. It's a motivation to get some answers. Jesus wants people on the team who knows what it's like to wrestle with doubt. I'm, if you go deeper in your faith, your faith, you're going to have times when you doubt. You're going to have moments where you say, God, is any of this for real? Are you for real? Am I just deluding myself? You think I haven't had those times? I've had those times. But... That doesn't mean the end. The trick with doubt is to get answers. To get answers. To not let the doubt become disbelief. And if we'll do that, we'll get to see and touch Jesus. Thomas let go of his doubts and he became a great missionary. And we're pretty sure he took the gospel to India. And that's how the good news of Jesus got to the land of what we now know is India. Okay, so that's it for Team Comeback. Now we get to Team shadow why is it team shadow is it because judas is on this team had two judases on this team as we'll see no it's team shadow because we don't know as much about most of these guys besides besides judas first is james you got another james 
This is James, the son of Alphaeus, another James, not the same James, not the first James, not the James who wrote the book of James either. This is another James entirely. And we know almost nothing about this guy. He is never recorded as having doing or saying anything that was interesting enough to record. Okay. Any of y'all watch football? Know a little bit about football? Maybe you can tell me there is one famous football player who has seven Super Bowl rings. Who is he? Tom Brady. I got to respect the seven Super Bowl rings. But I'm having, I have a hard time being a Tom Brady fan. Anybody else? I don't know. I just, I mean, he just got a face. You ever meet anybody who just has a punchable face? Just a punchable face. Like, you know what? I don't even know that man, but he just needs a punch in the face. I think if I got to know Tom Brady, I might not change my mind. Tom, if you're listening, I'll be real surprised. I don't want no trouble, Tom. You get hit in the mouth when a dude wearing seven rings, seven big old rings, it's going to hurt, so... If I come back missing some teeth, y'all know Tom Brady heard about the Recreate Church podcast. Nobody knocked me out. All right, so we know the name of Tom Brady. Even if you don't do sports, even if you don't do football, you probably have heard of Tom Brady. Okay, now, he was on seven Super Bowl winning teams. Can you name for me the offensive lineman who blocked for Tom Brady? Any of them. A single one of them. Maybe if you were like a super NFL person, you could name... Matt Light, that's like the only one I could think of. One guy. Seven Super Bowl winning teams. Seven rings on Tom Brady's fingers. And yet he would have none of them if it wasn't for a group of five guys blocking for him that you've never, ever heard of. You know what? Tom Brady would not be a Super Bowl champion. We would be putting a little syrup on him because he'd be a pancake. Without his linemen. And yet we haven't heard of him. Look, maybe James is that left tackle. We don't know a lot about him. He sort of falls between the cracks of some other more famous Jameses, but the team would not have been able to function without him. James shows us that Jesus wants quiet, hardworking people on the team who don't have to be in the spotlight. People who are willing to work when nobody sees them. Maybe that is you. That you're not a spotlight person. You're not a Tom Brady. But Tom Brady can't win the game without you. Hard-working, quiet people who don't need the fame. So we come to another one of these guys. It's uh, Thaddeus. Thaddeus, who was the other Judas. There was two Judases on the team. We don't know a ton about Thaddeus. Full name Judas Thaddeus Lebius. But... It's got to be the hard, it's got to be hard being the other Judas, right? Because Judas is awful. Everybody knows Judas is the bad guy. And um, there is this other Judas. And when people heard his name, it's not like they had pictures. There was, there was nobody posting on Facebook. Hey, hey, here's what the 12 disciples, there was no TMZ to show you what these celebrity disciples looked like. Oh, you're Judas the disciple. Uh, oh, 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 you're Judas the disciple. No, 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 not that Judas. A different, as a matter of fact, just call me Thaddeus. Let's go with Thaddeus from now on. People must have made a lot of assumptions about him. 
But Thaddeus teaches us that we are more than the assumptions people have about us. There may be some people in your life who have assumptions about you, or maybe they knew you years ago and you're not that person anymore. But to them, you'll always be that person. Understand that Jesus wants people who are more than the unfair assumptions about them. Jesus wants people who find their identity not in what people say about them, but in him. We have another Simon here as we get down the list on uh, Team Shadow. Another Simon, not Simon Peter. This is Simon the Zealot, sometimes translated as Simon the Canaanite. This guy was the activist. He was part of a political movement that was ready to fight to get rid of the Romans who were occupying the land. Um, If Simon had lived today, he would have all kinds of bumper stickers on the back of his car or pickup truck or whatever. He would be that guy who would have some political statement as his Facebook profile picture. Because he so badly wanted to get rid of these Romans. (laughs) Now get this. Jesus chose Simon, but he also chose Matthew. Remember the guy who worked for the Romans, who came from the complete opposite end of the political spectrum? And yet they came together around Jesus? Jesus breaks down barriers. Did you know that even Democrats and Republicans can sit together in church? Yeah. We do it every week. We do just fine. Because... Those things aren't nearly as important as the main thing. Simon reminds us that Jesus wants people on the team who are willing to put the gospel above all these other things. Even important things. Not saying they're not important. They're important. But the most important agenda is that people know Jesus. Then we got one more guy. Judas Judas Iscariot, the betrayer history's greatest bad guy there was a lot of judases around we got two judases on the team jesus also had another he had a brother named judas you've heard of the book of jude right before revelation that was jesus's half brother jude who wrote that judas was a very popular name for boys at the time because of a jewish hero named judas maccabees or or judas the hammer so they named a lot of kids after him um The name Judas, though, became synonymous with being a traitor. Nobody knew that at the time. You ever seen like an artistic depiction of Judas? He's always got like a goatee, like an evil-looking goatee. Why did a goatee become like the symbol of evil? I had a goatee for years. Not because it was a fashion statement, but that is literally the only place on my face hair would grow. I I found some miracle grow when we filled it in a little bit. Just sort of comb over. It's a comb over beard. It's not real thick. So, Judas, they didn't know he was the bad guy. They didn't know. They didn't know. They just thought he was another guy. He, he must have actually been one of the most trusted of the twelve because they made him the treasurer of the group. And yet, when it came time, he sold Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver, which was the price that you would pay to a human trafficker to buy another human being. And that's what he sold Jesus out for. Why did Jesus include Judas on the team? Did he know that Judas was going to betray him? Absolutely he did. Maybe it's a reminder that there is one sin that Jesus cannot overcome. I know he he overcomes all the sins, except for this one. A heart that is determined to not believe. You can get to the point where you just say, I will not believe it, I will not believe it. And then you ever met somebody who you can't convince them even though the evidence is right in their face? Don't be that guy when it comes to Jesus. Judas was eaten up with remorse after his betrayal. He did not repent 
It was not repentance. He had remorse, and he took his own life in the end. Judas shows us that not everybody who appears to be on the team is really on the team. You are going to meet some people who appear to be religious who may not really know Jesus. Please understand, sometimes people who really know Jesus really do some bad things, but you might have met some people along the way who, well, certainly if they know Jesus, they weren't living for Jesus when they were misbehaving and being mean and hurting others. The 12 were not the sort of people we would expect. Jesus chose people with very different personalities and strengths. He brought them together as a team. We see in Judas that just showing up is, you know, or just looking the part, that's not the same as really being on the team. Being on the team means you, you give your heart, you give yourself. Where one was weak on this team, others were strong. And together they turned the world upside down and the ripples are felt to this very moment today because there's no point of doing anything we're doing without the good news of Jesus. Even Jesus didn't do it alone. He built a team. He built a community. Teamwork makes the dream work. And that's what we're doing now. I've, I've been praying, y'all. Some of y'all have been praying too. I've been praying that the Lord would bring everybody to be a part of this that's meant to be a part of this. Because the body of Christ, we want every part of the body of Christ. The, the church is, is described like a being a body, like some people are the hands, some people are the feet. Some, somebody in here is the liver. Not the most glamorous thing. You can live without a hand, but you can't live without the liver. We want all the parts of the body here. We want all the people with the special skills. And so what we're praying is that the Lord would increase our team. The Lord would bring us those that are supposed to be part of the team. Hey, maybe, maybe the Lord's got something for you to do that, that you haven't jumped into yet. Pray for that opportunity. And I want to be praying for you too. We're going to wrap this up in prayer right now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this team that you are bringing together. Thank you for the folks out there who, who can't be with us in person, but they pray for this, this church, this mission, this movement. God, may you raise up everyone who is meant to be a part of this. I, there's some people out there who have some skills and talents that we need to bring into this. We need them, Lord. So I pray you'll draw them irresistibly. Lasso them, Lord, with your Holy Spirit and pull them in. Make them part of this. God, thank you so much for giving us a team. Thank you for five years of ministry with Recreate Church. We've seen so much, and I pray the best is yet to come, that it might be beyond all we dream. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thank you for being a part of this. Lord Wilden will keep going in the book of Mark chapter 3 next week. I'm excited to see each of y'all. Hey, go be an Andrew this week and grab somebody and say, come on to church service, and we'll see you then. God bless.